0: Welcome to the chartbook Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. My guest today is Coleman Hughes. Coleman, uh, what is Coleman? Coleman is an author, uh, a writer. Uh, he writes regularly. He's a musician because I I, I heard Coleman's songs. Mm-hmm. So he's a podcaster. He writes regularly for uh, American Portals and... Um, I reached out to Coleman to talk about a very interesting subject as we are recording this podcast today. uh, The US Supreme Court has now struck down the the, uh, affirmative action. It was two particular universities against which this case was filed, if I know particularly well. It was Howard and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, and it was filed by the students for. fair admissions it was about asian americans and how they were being discriminated against and and i did not know this was going to happen i just invited coleman for a podcast on (laughs) reparations and uh, affirmative action in general but it just happened that the u.s supreme court ruled against it today so coleman thanks for coming welcome my pleasure and we're speaking on a historic
1: occasion in american history
0: so, Coleman, let's start over here. Could you explain uh, how American affirmative action is different from quotas? Because uh, as you know, in India, we have actual quotas, right? For the scheduled cars, scheduled tribes, and what we call other backward classes. And now there is another category that has been created, and it was upheld. Uh, the constitutionality of it was upheld by the Supreme Court. It is called EWS, but uh, I'm not going to get into that. But we have actual quotas in India, mm-hmm. in admissions, whether it's schools, colleges, everywhere. We have quotas everywhere. But uh, how is it different from American Affirmative Action? American Affirmative Action
1: started in the very late 1960s in earnest. And at that time, there were quotas. When it started, we did have quotas. Uh, there were quotas in you know, government employment, in uh, employment for federal contractors, for companies that work with or for the government. There were, uh, you were allowed to have quotas in colleges. Then that got struck down because, uh, well, Americans, we have, we have a very different culture and ethics around racial discrimination. And the notion of having a, a set number of people of each race that can go into a space, that may that makes a lot of Americans uncomfortable because that is precisely the kind of racial discrimination that in the past has been leveled against minorities, such as black people, Jews. There were uh, quotas on Jews in Ivy league colleges for many, many years in the earlier uh, and mid 20th century. So the Supreme court said, um, I I believe in the seventies that you cannot have direct quotas. You can't actually have a number, a percentage. But you can in effect racially discriminate in a in in a non-quota based way so ever since then we've had affirmative action in this in the sense of racial preferences without having strict quotas what happened today is that racial preferences in general got struck down so starting today colleges are not allowed to take race into account at all. They have to admit their students based on criteria that do not include race uh, as even as one among many factors.
0: All right. So this is very interesting. I was also looking at uh, pupils. This was uh on June 8th, 2023, which said more Americans disapprove than approve of colleges considering race, ethnicity in admissions decisions. And um uh, I, I find it peculiarly interesting as an Indian uh, and, and just for the benefit of everyone, I'm just going to pull it up on the screen, too, so that everybody else can look at the numbers, too. Uh, so this is uh, the number where they say the percentage is and more than pretty much half of Americans believe that race or any kind of ethnicity should not be considered uh, when it comes to uh, Admissions in colleges, schools, universities, etc. But here's my point of view. Now, I come from a society where, uh, you know, discrimin- I'm not saying my society is unique or anything. I mean, every society discriminates. Every society has had a history of discrimination. Mm-hmm. But uh, India, when it got its independence from the British, acknowledged its history of discrimination against the scheduled Castes and scheduled Tribes. And we did something about it. We did something about it by giving them, at that time, uh, e- the discussions in the constitutional assembly in India, they, they basically said that we are going to give these quotas for a specific period of time. Now, obviously they have gone on and increased the number of castes in the quotas and they have even, they keep on increasing the limit uh, initially it was supposed to be 10 or 20 years then they kept on increasing the limit i think they're going to revisit the limit in 2026 As and saying, I can... um,
1: there's a saying that says there's there's nothing that lasts longer than a temporary policy
0: <laughs> yeah it does it and, and and i can assure you it's going to be continued again and again but then the natural question is that there is enough research in India that actually quotas have helped the scheduled cast and scheduled tribes, especially. Now I'm someone who's actually opposed to any other quota other than for scheduled cast and scheduled tribes and for multiple reasons, which I have explained on my podcast in the past. But there is ample research in India that quotas, maybe not in the Elite institutions, but especially in primary schools and many other uh, for walks of life, they have helped the scheduled cast and scheduled tribes. So why you have
1: you have have quotas in
0: primary schools? Yeah, yeah, everywhere,
1: everywhere. Um, How does that work? So basically, does every does everyone have to go to primary school regardless or no?
0: so public schools will always have what they call a 27% reservation criteria or something of that sort uh depending on the caste it depends on which caste you are because in india uh, it's very uh, weird like if you're born in a certain caste right and your caste is certified by the government itself so so in uh, in a very weird way the state quota system kind of makes caste a birth based system even when if the the hindu way of looking of it uh, at it would be that it was fluid in its origins, but the point is, the government to fix a problem of discrimination which existed in its society, create a birth-based system, and now it's kind of fixed caste and made it rigid. Uh, so, uh, as Thomas Sowell would say, life is about trade-offs. One of the trade-offs of giving quotas is you make caste fixed, and you're you're always in that caste. Like, for the I, I, as I've said many times, I am for quotas. I'm for SCST quotas, and I have seen the benefits of those for uh, Scheduled caste, schedule Tribe. Uh, community members and it has lifted them from many situations whether it's in schools, now it's very peculiar in india minority institutions when you say minority institutions it means let's say i am in a state of maharashtra where the state language is marathi but there are institutions run by other people let's say who speak gujarati or sindhi and they start an institution Now, they don't have to follow something called the right to admission, RTE, and they can claim exemption because they are a minority. Similarly, the minority exemption is granted to religious denominations. So if it's a Christian school, a Muslim school, they will be. But if it's a Hindu school, no. They are not granted. It's, it's, it's because they're not considered a minority. It's, it's very, very weird in India. But linguistic minorities and religious minorities are given the option of opting out of the quota system.
1: What happens if two people of different castes
0: marry and have a kid? What What caste is the kid? I think they consider the fathers. Or in in some societies, it's the mother's caste that is considered. Because India is both matrilineal and patrilineal. India has two. So it's given to the states to decide. Like in Kerala, you could maybe go with the mother's side also, and in some northeastern states. But in in northern India or in western India, it would be the father's side. Just like that. And the child also has the option, right? So let's say if it's a Brahmin father and a Dalit mother, the child can always choose to be you know, certified as Dalit. I think that they will not create a problem in that case.
1: So what we have in America, what, what got struck down today was only affirmative action in colleges. And uh, one key thing to, to, to know about this is 99% of Black and Hispanic kids are not affected at all by this policy. 99%, actually probably more than 99%. Because... Uh, you know, something like two thirds of kids are not going to college to begin with, right? They're either not graduating high school, or they're graduating high school, but not going to college. And then the rest of kids are going to colleges that have such high acceptance rates that accept, you know, between 60 and 90% of people that that apply, so that they don't need these policies in order to create a diverse student body. So um, my view is that this is a policy for the elites. It is a policy that has benefited the Black and Hispanic elite. Uh, And it, it is not a policy, people like to frame this as, okay, well, this is about access to higher education. It's nothing to do with access to higher education per se. It has to do with access to a very, very small number of elite Ivy League schools um, that have a somewhat inflated sense of self-importance to begin with. And uh, plenty of, you know, if you actually look at the top uh, Fortune 500 CEOs in America, the CEOs of the top 500 companies, very few of them went to these schools. You know, so we're not talking about denying access to higher education. Uh, we're talking about a policy that has benefited a very tiny elite sliver of the black and Hispanic population. And uh, and I think that's worth keeping in mind when people say that, oh, this is, you know, this is about poverty. This is about access. No, it's not.
0: Fair enough. But but then what about the historical reality of uh, Two communities in particular, uh, Native Americans and African American communities, that that have faced historical discrimination in in, in the United States of America. Now, that when I was just looking at the numbers, there are clearly h- humongous gaps in terms of per capita income, overall educational qualification, and and if if we go by different parameters, the African American community is lagging behind. Now, mm. if if the quotas are not going to help, is there any evidence to the contrary that when provided quotas or when provided affirmative action, uh, these communities do not benefit at all or it's just not statistically significant?
1: Well, first of all, like I said, these, these policies affect 1% of black people, right? So how, how could a policy that only affects 1% of a population, be responsible for progress of the whole group. Fair enough. I think that if you look throughout the past 70, say, years of American history, since like World War II, the periods where Black people have made the most progress, for example, from like 1945 to 1970, the the Black poverty rate cut in half. The causes of that have been a really, really good economy, essentially. A really good economy um, where it's easy for lower-skilled wage workers to find work. So that, that factor is far more important in terms of Black people making progress than um, a, a quota or affirmative action in the elite colleges, right? The, the poverty rate, the Black poverty rate actually cut in half before affirmative action was even started in the late 60s. So I think people like to attribute lots of the progress to this policy. In reality, there's very little evidence for that.
0: Yeah, I remember Thomas Sowell talking about this, too, in in his book. I forgot the name of the book. He's written too many books and I don't I'm not very good at names, but I have read Thomas Sowell and and I read him with a lot of interest. But it's very interesting that Thomas Sowell uses India as a criteria to show Quotas don't work. Actually, that's where Thomas Sowell is wrong, which is Mm -hmm. uh, one of his justifications in his book uh was the indian quota system and and i found it very interesting because i don't think he was right when it came to that and and also fall the record to answer your questions on intercaste marriages in 1975 the government of india had general notified had issued a notification that basically said in intercaste marriages the children can choose the caste the parents can choose it for the children because it comes from the reality like i said in in certain states in india they're matrilineal uh in other states in india they're not so Mm -hmm. it depends so that's why the government came up with this notification in 1975 to to change that but then I, i i once again find this very interesting so i get your point of it's just the elite institutions okay not the elite institutions i get that but but what about the other institutions let's say uh Institutions that are not so elite, maybe not the Ivy League institutions. I get why Ivy League institutions are doing this. I I know it's just a way of maybe them feeling good about themselves more than actually helping the community in reality. And, and I and I see the point. But at the end of the day, why do these disparities exist? It's not like the American economy was not doing better from 50 years ago, right? The American economy has still kept on doing better and better, even if it has grown at a rate of one or two percent, it is one or two percent of a giant economy, right? So it has huge effects. But why doesn't why don't those effects show in the absolute numbers when it comes to the progress of the African-American community, if compared to other communities? Then
1: The African-American community is doing far, far better than it was 40 years ago. It's it's only when measured against the benchmark of white Americans who have also been progressing and had a huge head start that um, it looks like like we're lagging. I mean, if you picture this as like a foot race, you know, white people haven't been moving still. And they, they, as, as a group had a massive head start, and massive advantages. I don't necessarily see why the uh, why the standard should be white Americans.
0: Why standard, not?
1: Let's say you know my community, saying? Indian Americans. The well, by, Indian Americans are richer than white Americans. You have the highest incomes in the country. So, you know, by by that logic, white Americans are somehow deprived. If if Indians are the standard, then white people are deprived. And then, what are we even talking about? I personally, I think that each group, each ethnic group, has a different history, different culture, different geography um and and all of that leads uh, p- partly to ethnic groups having different outcomes in a multicultural society you can't have equal outcomes across the board if uh, the groups are, are different right and the what you should want is to create as fair a system as possible so that nobody is penalized for having been born into the wrong group but this uh, the, the notion of equal outcomes for groups that have totally different histories, different cultures, is a fantasy, in my view.
0: Uh, I I agree with you on the equal outcome bit. What I find very interesting is that why why doesn't American society look at the benefit of helping people? Like, why is the analogy of when you are oppressed for let's say 200 years 300 years in the case of in 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 india some communities a thousand years when and 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 i get the fair comparison because even wilford told me the same thing look the dalit community in india or or the scst community in india in total is like more than 27% that's a huge number you have to do something about that but uh, he was like you can't compare that to the african american community they are at best right now i think 11.3% in the united states of america uh, correct yeah. me if i'm wrong so he's like even the numbers change but i still find it shocking to me and i know americans find that i find it shocking uh, they're like why are you so concerned about these things because I see things working in India. I, I I actually, now there can be debates as to, okay, at what point of time do quotas or reservations get stopped? Maybe at the second generation, third generation. I get all those, those arguments. But what I don't get is that when you are, a, you are a community that basically did not have rights till the 1940s, 50s, 60s, there are cascading effects of those realities on the society in general, right? So why shouldn't a state, it doesn't matter which state it is, do something to give them a little bit of a push so that those extraneous factors that are created from historical realities they don't get nullified
1: so i do do think a state should do something and i think i would have supported affirmative action in if i were alive in 1968 when it was being debated i probably would have supported it as a temporary policy Uh, and by the way back then it it used to go by a different name compensatory justice yes it was sometimes called because the rationale was compensation for black americans specifically as opposed to racial diversity in general the rationale in the 70s um changed to diversity where and obviously special interests and lobby groups uh, influenced the policy where it no longer became just about black people it was also about hispanics uh, Asians actually benefited from affirmative action for a while before their numbers increased to the point where now they were discriminated against. Um, so, the question the question is not whether uh, America owes Black Americans something, right? Like clearly, after the civil rights movement, America's uh, Black Americans were owed were owed something, and martin luther king took that question seriously he wrote about it in his book why we can't wait and he actually looked at india and he he's he he basically said look black people are owed something right uh what are our options let's look around the world we he saw india where as you know you already had a budding quota system in college admissions and he saw that and he pointedly did not recommend that You know, he said his idea was what he called the Bill of Rights for the disadvantaged, which was a race neutral class based anti poverty program that would disproportionately benefit black Americans because black people were and still are disproportionately poor, but would also benefit uh, poor white Americans and would be executed on the basis of class rather than race. Now, what we what we got instead of that, well, Lyndon Johnson sort of tried that with the war on war on poverty. But what we got in affirmative action was precisely the opposite, a a policy that specifically benefited the black elite, the black upper crust, the black and Hispanic top 1% yet was uh, the people in the black community who frankly needed the least help and yet has been justified. In the language of uh, helping the black community as a whole.
0: Fair enough. Uh, to that, I, you know, someone, someone like me, uh, from where I come from, I would say. So what uh, Martin Luther King said was, you should have a welfare state, so welfare programs, something of that sort, right? If if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly.
1: Yeah, even even maybe deeper than a welfare state, not but but a a serious attempt at policies aimed at helping the poor, not just necessarily giving out money. It could be uh, reforming education in poor communities. Could be could be many different things, but it would be on the basis of poverty rather than race.
0: Now, very interestingly, in India, we have both. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We have social welfare schemes targeted on the basis of purely economic factors, along with quotas. So, mm-hmm. so from where I come from, I, I don't see it as an either-or argument. You could have both is what, where I'm coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think African Americans are owed that in the United States of America. The only two communities who are owed that are African Americans and Native Americans. I think they um, Societies uh, have done, but now about the compensation. You use the word compensation for the community in the 1960s, uh, like Martin Luther King said. Now there is the other side of compensation, which is uh, which is uh, reparations in America. Mm-hmm. Now I hear random politish politicians in America talking about reparations uh, here or there, or you will have. Uh, uh, I've, I'm very bad with names, so I apologize, but. Um, There are two particular uh, uh, African-American speakers. I think one is a Christian pastor who comes on uh, Bill Maher all the time. Uh, I I forgot his name. He had a very nasty debate with Jordan Peterson, too. And Michael uh,
1: Eric Dyson.
0: I think that was it. And the Mm -hmm. other person was also someone uh, who comes and he's a professor. I forgot his name. But I find him to be very interesting, too. He was a Bernie supporter at one point of time. I apologize. I'm Uh, very bad Cornel West? Exactly. Yes. These two. Cornel West and Michael Jackson. Now, they talk about reparations and they have a very different view also. It's not like their views are very similar to each other. Now, on the reparations bit, in fact, I don't understand how America is going to go about doing reparations. Now, that some of those things could overlap on the reservations issues also because reparations to whom, right? Like who gets the reparations? Uh, how, how is America going to, the American state going to figure out something like who is actually a descendant of slaves? Like I was looking at the numbers of minorities and I see Nigerian Americans as a group are doing very well in the United States of America, right? If I'm if I'm, yes, I'm they're Yes, they're
1: doing quite a bit better than black Americans as a whole. By the way if if your position is that affirmative action should go to those who are owed nigerian americans are not really owed anything they were not I, here for slavery or for jim crow so on that policy w- would you want to distinguish between nigerian americans
0: and and that's where your- the problem arises which is why i say america's uh- Biggest mistake because was not starting quota in, initially. I know it cannot be implemented today because of this whole Nigerian-American issue. I know that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, right now it's too difficult. I mean, and and half the kids at these colleges are are not descendants of slaves. Half, half the black kids at these elite colleges are not descendants of slaves. They are descendants of immigrants who who migrated to the country post 1965. Never experienced Jim Crow or slavery here.
0: And that uh, and that's exactly where like if I whenever I'm with my friends in America, I always say your country's biggest mistake was not having quotas in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think it would have uh, repaired a lot of bruises in your society, which always you know kind of pop up every now and then whenever uh, uh, there are riots in America for well, we, we did have quotas.
1: We did have quotas for 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 several years and then they were um, they were banned. But, well, there still, but there was still, but there still racial preference. I mean, no, I find it very hard to believe that if we had kept having quotas, that our our race problems would have sort of been better. I find that very tough to believe. But, I think but we we'd you, still have riots.
0: No, I. I it's never going to be zero. I never said it's going to be zero. I. What I'm trying to say is, but at least the intention of the state matters, right?
1: Yeah, of course, and that's what affirmative action has been for the past fifty years. We've had that intention for for. 50 years uh and despite it we had you know the rodney king riots and then uh, we had ferguson riots in 2014 we had the riots everywhere in the country in 2020 where is the evidence that these sorts of policies are placating people uh, i don't think that that there's mo- there's reason to believe that
0: but it's very interesting it has worked like so I well said, in india it really
1: it, it, this, these policies affect the top 1% of black people. The other 99% are totally unaffected personally by this, right? So, and those are the people that are likely to riot if we're having race riots. It's, these are, these are separate things. I mean, maybe it symbolically affects people, but, um, they're, this is really a policy for the elites. It's a policy that benefits the elites.
0: I, I just find it hard to believe that it's only going to benefit the elites if they if they would have implemented it maybe in a proper manner because I just see the evidence to the contrary in india and and i I find it hard to say that human beings behave in such a deviant manner in into two societies if if people are underprivileged and if the state tries to push them uh it's not like eventually, everybody has to benefit from the same. Uh, Now I understand the the free rider issues uh, and I'm not using this term pejoratively. I'm just using this term on an evolutionary level where in evolution, you have a free rider problem where you create X is created and then Y kind of benefits more from X rather than the original intent. But I don't know. Okay, then let's talk about reparations. Then even reparations are off the table then.
1: No, I support reparations. Um, That's interesting. No, I've, I, I mean, it's, it's what I've always. Said. I support reparations to uh, somebody that was harmed specifically by state policy or their immediate family. I don't support it for their grandkids or their great grandkids or their great great grandkids. That's always been my my uh,
0: policy. So, so when you say, how, how would the state, then again, it's an execution problem. So how would the state go about figuring that out then?
1: In, um they're doing it in certain places already. They're doing it in Evanston outside of Chicago, identifying um, black people that tried to get mortgages but were denied because of racial discrimination and giving them um, a certain amount of money to go towards purchasing a house.
0: That's that's interesting. So so do you think now that affirmative action is completely out of the window uh, in the American legal structure maybe the discussion for reparations for African Americans and and maybe other co- communities would uh, pick uh, pick up uh, heat uh, again? Do you think that's going to happen? I really don't know. Yeah, it's possible.
1: Right now it's it's mostly being discussed in California. Where uh, the the governor has asked a formal committee to give him a recommendation on recommend, uh, on reparations, and it would be presumably up to the state legislature to and the governor whether to actually implement it. Now, if it, I don't think that that's going to happen. But if it were to happen in California, that would be huge because that's the largest state in america and that would be that would sort of foreshadow it happening in the rest of the country and um i'm i'm quite sure that the position of black americans after reparations will be basically no different than before but that's my own opinion
0: so why would you say it remains the same so what what
1: do you mean by reparations you mean like a check
0: I think it could be like in money? cash or kind, both reparations. Could be cash and kind, both.
1: So what would the what would the other, what would in kind be?
0: Uh, it could be a targeted, like I am opposed to a universal basic income, but uh, reparations in the form of a monthly check for underprivileged communities could be a solution.
1: A monthly check, like kind of a basic income for yes. black people specifically?
0: Uh, black people and Native Americans could be. It's it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility. It's not. I mean, first of all, N- Native Americans
1: have gotten special rights for a very long time—special rights to casinos, which are massive cash-generating operations. And how much has that helped their situation? They're still very poor in this country. Their their communities are uh, suffer from a lot of a lot of Social ills. Um, in my view, the the problems of poverty are not mostly not a problem of like not having cash on hand right now. Right. the the We in the war on poverty, we gave literally billions of dollars to the poor, and what happened after that? Did poverty get better? Well, not really. We had the '80s where crime spiked horribly, the 70s and 80s, the, the crack epi- the crack epidemic, and all of this, in, in many ways, um, poor and Black communities were doing worse in the 80s. And as far as I'm concerned, the real problems, the true problems of poverty are, um, it's not that money is not a problem at all. Obviously, it is a problem. But I think the real problems are people growing up around crime, growing up around drugs, um, growing up around in, in, in neighborhoods where nobody has a stable family. And those are like those problems, there are actually poor communities where people don't have money, like poor Asian communities in New York, where like no they, nobody has that much money, but there's no crime, there's no drugs, there's uh, every everyone's father's in the home, everyone is is there's a culture of of helping each other out within the community giving you know pooling your money together giving people loans when they need it um, sharing information and, and all the rest and no one has that much money everyone's poor but they don't have the the problems that poor black communities have namely crime drugs broken family structure etc I don't see how those problems get fixed with a reparations check or, or it, it, to me, it's poverty is not the problems of poverty are not synonymous with lack of cash, if that makes sense.
0: So the solution to poverty does not always have to be just a check, right? It is. It is never a binary choice in life. Every policy, when it is designed, it is not designed from a singular perspective. Policy making. I mean, I have a little bit of experience in this area. When I mean, I have worked behind closed doors. Um, and you know been part of policy making when when policies are designed i again my experience only comes from india right it doesn't come from the united states of america so we come from very different perspectives but policies are never designed from the point of view where i have to fix this so if i do this this gets fixed it's never one solution the policy is kind of a A supporting scaffolding along with many other scaffoldings in the system let's say obviously poverty is not going to be solved just by reparations it's going to be solved by free markets too when you have a robust capitalist society where people are constantly coming out now one of the biggest evidence of that is is my country where uh, we had humongous poverty till the 90s and then we opened our society up in terms of fiscal uh, policies and today india has been taking people out of poverty in a huge rate but it doesn't mean that those quotas or those those welfare schemes that were very well directed towards communities that deserve it did not work. They also worked along with a parallel system of India opening up its market. What sometimes I feel that people make it that oh, if you do this, it's not good enough. Let's assume that these things are not being done right now. Right as of now, these things are not being done. Now. Nobody's expecting them to change the free market uh, ideology of America. What people are, what people like me would say is you can have the free markets and maybe you have some other, uh, you know, policies that help certain communities too, who genuinely face. Now, as far as uh, single parenthood and many other factors are concerned, I do understand where you're coming from. And I agree with you. In fact, I remember Don Lemon saying the same thing. It was in 2015 or 16 until he changed I mean, he has completely ch- changed 180 on his views on what ails African-American communities. But I, I don't know his reasons. But the point remains that are those the only reasons for poverty? Aren't there other reasons? Aren't, aren't these multifactorial or multivariable uh, situations where there are so many variables at play? Why can't we fix a few?
1: What, what do you mean a few? I mean, Let's say, uh, we were talking about a reparations check, you know, giving people money, and my my claim was that the community will be basically precisely as bad as bad off after that happens as before.
0: So, so where I was coming from was what I was trying to say is that if after the check, why would they remain the same? Wouldn't the change in their financial position make? slightly better for them in terms of maybe they could invest some of those things in their personal welfare not just spending in or wasting the money they could be giving that you know using that money for let's say a better education or something of that sort
1: yeah maybe some well i think that's really a drop in the bucket i think it's a drop in the bucket as compared with the structural issues with the so structural how, yeah. okay so how would you fix those structural issues then so i think first of all i think you have to sort out crime because nothing it, uh, very little matters if you are a kid growing up in a neighborhood with lots of crime and drugs you know little else matters you are it, it's it's so difficult to grow up in such a neighborhood avoid the pull of drugs avoid the the, the pull of crime and go on to have a a successful life and career if that stuff is all around you. It takes an enormous amount of willpower to resist it, and um, and so that's something we have to get a handle on. I think, you know, immediately. Secondly, schools are terrible. And by the way, when when crime when you have neighborhoods with crime, no businesses move in there, so there's no jobs. The businesses that do that are there, end up um you know with higher costs and then end up often just going out of business or leaving and i you, you there are neighborhoods in america where it's like it's just like oh, it's go, to, go to st louis or, or or ferguson and you'll just see a row of businesses that used to be there many of them black owned now empty because there was a riot or because there's just too much crime and so you ask why there's no jobs in these places Why why are there no jobs to get in the hood it's because because the crime has made all the businesses flee. So that's, to me, primary is stop the bleeding and get a handle on the crime. Secondly, the, the schools are terrible. The schools are terrible and nothing can be done about them because you can't fire teachers, you can't fire principals, um, often, you know, if you're born in a district, you have to go to that public school, no matter how bad it is. Legally, you don't have a choice if you're poor. If you're rich, you can go to a private school if your public school sucks. If you're poor and and, and if you're black and if there are no charter schools in your area, um, because the teachers unions try to use all their power to limit the expansion of charter schools, then you're just stuck going to the shitty public school that uh, that that's been failing probably for 50 years. Um, And and again, nothing can be changed about that schools, again, because of the influence of teachers unions. So Roland Fryer, who is a Harvard economist, did a study where he was able to look at about 20 low-performing public schools in Houston, and in a randomized experiment, he got to just take control of half of them. And he fired half the teachers, fired the principals, replaced everybody, um, and lengthened the school day, got every kid individual tutoring um, and, and made a few other changes and was able to significantly increase uh, the math scores that these kids were achieving. And I think that that kind of program is is to me much more interesting than yet another round of trying to just give people cash. And again, I'm not, I'm not against that necessarily. I think, first of all, we do we do already have that. We, we do have welfare programs in America. We have earned income tax credit. We have um, uh, food assistance programs and, and so forth. And we've had that for a long time. And we had the war on poverty in the 70s where it was massive influx of cash into poor black communities. I'm not saying I'm against that. I'm saying it really doesn't make contact with the main issues and that we don't need a reparations rationale, um, to, to just fix, like we, we, we should want to fix those issues, regardless of whether they're to repair the past or not. Right. To me, that's a totally moot point. We should want to fix those issues. If, if it's, if it would white people going through those issues and, and poor white people do have their own issues, right? The opioid crisis has been horribly devastating on lower and middle class white communities and we absolutely want to get a get a handle on that it, it's not about repairing for for slavery uh, um which you know ended in 1865 it's about uh it's about fixing our biggest social ills today
0: so so roland Fryer uh, is the same gentleman who had come up uh, with the empirical analysis of uh, uh racial differences in police use too right if, if I remember correctly. Correct. Okay, good. So I just wanted to make sure that it's the same person we're talking about. So I I hear where you're coming from. And I actually agree with you on most of the things on reparations. The only thing is, I, I always say this. I know quotas are never going to come in the United States of America. It's 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 out of the realm of possibility. I wish it would have been continued. I think it would have helped because I, I just see the overwhelming evidence of it for the schedule. Hold on, contract. I have to stop you there.
1: I think one thing you don't understand about America is first of all we did have quotas and when they were banned they were only banned they were only banned superficially right like many of these schools have had de facto quotas for for 50 years right and and you can look at this you can look how Harvard has mysteriously had the exact same percentage of Asians for many, many years, even as Asian immigration has just gone way, way, way up, right? So the fact that we did have quotas, they were technically, and even before we had pro-minority quotas, we had anti-minority quotas on Jews, and we've still had de facto quotas for the past 50 years, even though they've been technically banned, right? There's nothing to stop a university, and they've, they've all been doing it from getting in a back room and saying we don't want fewer than 10 percent of our students to be black and magically they've achieved that and maybe it changes one percent each year but but so, so i i i really resist this notion that we haven't had quotas because it's while it's technically true it's extremely misleading
0: okay so what you're saying is that this is something like uh from what i understood uh Uh, certain Asian-Americans would be failed in the personality test or something of that sort, right? That a personality does not uh, qualify with what we're looking at, something of that sort, and just create criterion to reject them? Um, I'm
1: not sure. I'm not sure. Look, the the way universities do it is they it's all secret. How they how they admit students is secret. They don't have to release any of it. Um, It all happens behind closed doors and yet magically year after year after year at many of these places they keep the same number of minority students right and maybe it fluctuates a little bit but it's not fundamentally different than a quota it's not that we haven't had quotas like we we've, we've had strong preferential policies which have resulted in a, a de facto floor that minority students never go below a certain number. De facto, that is no different than a quota. And that's what we've had for 50 years. We just formally the notion of an actual quota that's on the school website, 12% black at this school. That's been illegal. So you can't state it, but you can achieve it. And that's what's been happening for since 1970. So uh, I I think
0: you understand what I'm saying? I get it completely. Yeah. I get it completely. Yeah. All I was saying is I wish it would have uh, been more formal. I think, uh, again, everything I say is uh, not based on an American experience. It is based on an experience in India. And uh, sometimes in societies, uh, some things work. I guess uh, they don't, overlap well with other societies could very well be the case like I, I don't see uh like even in my stance my stance on reservations in India is very nuanced I don't support it for what is called OBCs and e- the, the recently applied EWS reservations I actually oppose them because I believe explain that, was that? What, what, I don't know anything about that issue explain that so it. so what happened initially in India was there was something called the varnas, people who are outside the varna system and they were classified as the scheduled caste and scheduled tribes of India, which were around 27% approximately, 27 to 30% of our society. So they gave them uh, a fixed quota in every primary education uh, to be uh, and, and other uh, government offices and government jobs and stuff like that. So it started there. And then in the late 60s or mid 60s, I don't remember the year exactly. There was a committee that was in- incorporated by the then government of India. It was called the Mandal Commission. And the recommendations of the Mandal Commission were made. And they had recommended that while we did this census, some castes were backward and they were not taken in the quota. So we... Recommend another category called the other backward classes, OBCs, and they should get a quota too. This was a recommendation of the Mandal Commission. It was kept in the back burner by the government forever. The Indira Gandhi government at that time had issued this Mandal Commission and they never took up the recommendations of the Mandal Commission. Afterwards, when the Indira Gandhi government fell, Many things had happened. Then there was this government by the then Prime Minister Vishwanath Pratap Singh, VP Singh. And the VP Singh government, for political reasons, brought in the Mandal Commission recommendations and incorporated the OBC quota. Now, my opposition to the OBC quota stems from the reality that there was not enough debate inside the Parliament of India to define what an OBC is. There was not enough research done to define what an OBC is. In the case of scheduled castes and scheduled tribes in India, they were actually defined very well, debated very well, identified accurately, and there, there was a historical legacy of them being oppressed in India. And that's why they worked. In the case of OBCs, you will have what I said in, initially in the uh, evolutionary sense, the free rider problem. There might be genuine castes that deserve to be in the OBC quota, but there will be castes that did not deserve to be in the OBC quota. And it opened a Pandora's box where today you have different caste groups in India uh, going to the government at times, uh, you know, agitating violently very rarely most of them are not violent but agitating to be added in the obc list now we kept a cap of 50% on the obcs at the federal level but then states in india for example the state of tamil nadu has gone on and added their obc quota more and more and more and tamil nadu has a reservation of 69% now if i remember correctly now maharashtra the state where I am from it is in the western part of India. They tried to add the a caste called Marathas in that and another caste. And obviously, the court struck it down because it was unconstitutional. It was held. I don't know why they did not hold the Tamil Nadu government uh, 69% quota unconstitutional, but it is what it is. Even Andhra Pradesh has tried it. And this is how it is and recently there was something called the EWS quota which was basically people who were left out of the system who are just poor in general and they were now given this EWS quota and that went to the supreme court and and the supreme court held that to be constitutional so that's another chunk uh, of uh, reservations added and how it's going to be distributed is another uh, maze that uh, I leave it to the government of India to, to sort out but this is how we dealt with it. So my stand has always been very much in support of SCST quota. Not forever. I am I, 100% with you that eventually there has to be a clause where these things have to stop i just feel they cannot be stopped right now in india that's all i say in fact i i vehemently oppose any other quota other than the scst quota and i hope the scst quota also in another 50 years is eventually weaned out as india becomes a very rich prosperous society even uh, even amongst the dalit communities i've had dalit scholars come on my podcast and talk about uh you know internally, inside the Dalit communities, they talk about things like, okay, not after the fourth generation. We are not going to take uh, reservations even if it is available to us outside the fourth generation. And they opt out voluntarily. We've had castes in India that have appealed to the government of India to remove them from the SCST quota and the government has removed them. The entire caste group itself, they went to the government and said, look, we benefited from the system. We want out. Take us out of it. And it happened. So this is how it f- happens in India. Mm, interesting. Why would they do that? Because they felt that they don't need it. And if their people take the SCST seat, they are taking away of other deserving SCST people. So they 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 opted out of it. That's very
1: magnanimous. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it did happen that, that there is a very famous case of a I've gas never,
1: um I'm curious. I want you to send that to me because I've, I've never heard of... I've never heard of an ethnic leader going to the federal government saying, "No, actually, we want less." <laughs> yeah, I just never heard of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it's uh it's it happened in India, and uh, there there was one caste in, if I remember, southern India that had approached the government, and that we they basically opted out of it, and they said we don't need it. And it's fine there are communities in india that do that and even the dalit community like i said i've had dalit scholars telling me this i mean i've i've had many multiple dalit scholars coming on my podcast all the time and they've said that there are these discussions even inside the inside the community that they say look if i got reservations my son got it and my son's daughter got it then i think their children maybe should consider opting out of it if through the process, we are now financially secure. Uh, we have a good education. We are, uh, you know, we don't. And uh, as far as discrimination is concerned, I, there are pupils to show that uh, most SESTs now don't feel discriminated in India when it comes to the ish- issue of caste. So it's not like uh, there is active, especially in urban areas. Uh, maybe in rural areas, we do face these things. Uh, and I have a little bit of experience working in rural India through my policy work. So I I do understand where it is and which is where I'm very sympathetic to SCST quotas because I've seen the benefits because I've personally worked on them. So I know it works because I did go out there actually on the ground and help them out. So this is the entire scenario in India, but I will send you the article. Or I'll email it to you and you you can study. Yeah, study please those do. Cases. Please do. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about maybe we. Could, this could be our closing segment. So I wanted to talk about politics in America. Now I sit in India, I visit America a lot, uh, but uh, I, I don't claim to be an American policy expert or an American politics expert. I just like to ask questions about America. I find the politics of this country to be very fascinating. Now, I don't want to get into wokeism because that is the standard line everybody talks about in America, and it, it's actually boring to me personally. I find it very boring. It's just uh, the American culture wars are pretty set. But I want to talk about politics beyond that. Now, I, I I meet a new class of people who are maybe Republican or Democrats who feel lost on both sides of the aisle now. I've Even in this trip, I've been here now for just three and a half weeks approximately. And I have already met so many people. I was in California, then I went to Michigan, and now I'm in Canada. But uh, I've met so many people. That, that they say that, you know, I was left of center, that Colin's a friend, like Colin made that famous meme uh, or the image of Colin Wright. And Colin said, you know, the left just changed. I've met many people on the right who, who say the right has changed. Both sides are hardening their stances. Now, what are the possible reasons for that?
1: Well, okay. So in the case of the left, if you were a Democrat in like 2008, say you voted for Obama, Obama ran on a platform that was um, not open borders. He, you know, he believed we need a strong border. Um, he definitely didn't support reparations. He, um, he was, he was running on really a platform that we need universal health care. And other than that, he was a very moderate Democrat. He was not um, pushing race-based policies, um, and, and so forth. If you look at the Democratic Party in, you know, like in the past four years, everything is about you know racial equity, which means racial preferences and racial discrimination. Um, it's much more, uh, mu- basically because Donald Trump was such a hard on immigration candidate, the left has tried to take the opposite stance and s- said, oh, there's no problem at the border. You know, we're, it's totally fine. We should be as relaxed as possible. And, and that has led to a perpetual border crisis where you have desperate people just flowing over the border, as well as uh, basically controlled by the cartels. Um, and people see this in, in addition to the, the, it's not that the whole Democratic Party is woke, but it's that wokeness exploded in the past 10 years, and the Democratic Party has not really been against it. Um, so. The Democratic Party used to be pro-free speech. Now the woke are anti-free speech, pro-cancel culture, and the Democratic Party doesn't really stand up against that. So there's all these values that used to be much more on the left, like don't cancel people you disagree with. Everyone gets a right to say something. Um, you know, even even during, during COVID, questioning government policy about public health Questioning big pharma, questioning the CDC, the FDA, the NIH. It used to be the left-wing position to always question the government. Now, if you question the government, you're an anti-vaxxer. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're killing grandma, right? So there's a lot of things that used to be more of the liberal instinct, what the liberal instinct used to be, the Democratic Party has in many ways abandoned. So many of those people feel that, what am I now? Because... They're not Republicans. So uh, but but the Democratic Party doesn't seem to represent what they feel. So they're kind of independents. They're centrist. They're they're in the uh, the mushy middle. And someone like Barry Weiss, who is a very big journalist, she kind of represents that. And those are the people that many of whom like listen to my podcast, listen to Barry's podcast, the free press and, and so forth. Now the right is a, is kind of a different story the right was the 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 Republican Party was basically completely captured and wrangled by Donald Trump who took it in a very different direction in the 2000s the Republican Party was um, pro basically pro-war pro-american power abroad pro-state building in Iraq um, uh, low Pro-cutting taxes for the rich, and uh, you know, pro-free trade, pro-libertarian economic policies, and Mitt Romney also represented that, but lost. Trump came in, and he really set a very different agenda. He set the agenda that basically, I'm going to run on a, a very strong anti-immigration platform. I'm going to reverse the Republicans' policy on war. We're going to bring everyone back home, you know, screw all these forever wars abroad. Um, I'm going to cut taxes for everyone. I'm going to, um, instead of being a free trade, libertarian, uh, economic policy kind of a person, I'm going to instigate trade wars with China and uh, protectionist policies so that you know, we can bring American factory jobs back home and so forth. He changed a lot of basic orientations of, of Republicans. So not only that, just the way that he spoke, the kind of populist language turned off some Republicans, the, the sort of never Trump Republicans as they're called, and they pivoted to the center as well. So I would say, Pretty much wokeism on the left and Trump on the right are what have driven different sets of people to the center. And the center has gotten bigger.
0: So do you you have any hope for a third party option in America or the American system is so uh, built in such a way that the third party can never come up and all these people can't go to the Libertarian Party that has naked people in its uh, conferences jumping around, running around?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't have hope for a third party at the moment. Um, I, I think it's a it's a very interesting idea, and I, I support the concept of it. I don't expect it to be very relevant in the short term. Yeah,
0: but I. I just- in a way, so again, in India, it's so different. We have so many political outfits in India. A, 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 political outfits that are based on language, political outfits that are based on caste identities, religious identities, just regular national political outfits, where which span the length, uh, length and breadth of India. It's, it's so interesting that in America, you just have two options. You either go here or you go here and you have to pick your choice. And, and, and I guess what you're talking about now is the number of independents, right? That's what you guys call in there are registered Democrats and registered Republicans. And then there are independents. Mm-hmm. And I guess the number of independents has kind of risen in American politics. I believe so. Yeah. So so you I remember you voted for Obama, right? I wasn't old enough to vote. Oh, so, so so where would you place yourself in the American political? I know people call you right-wing now, which is very interesting. I don't see, a, see a, I, I personally don't know where you stand on the political spectrum. I mean, I don't like to judge people on the basis of what they write. I, I would like to, you know, give them the benefit of uh, them stating themselves where they stand on the political spectrum.
1: I'm an independent. I probably would have voted for Obama if I were old enough at that time, but I... My first election was Trump versus Hillary, and I voted for Hillary. And then I voted for Biden. So I've only ever voted Democrat, but I'm an independent.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, I, I, Trump is an interesting character for me, at least sitting in India. But I, I've, I used to find his speeches to be interesting to say the least I mean I'm just being kind that's all although I'm not lefting. i I would not vote for the Democrats if I was living in America but I would not vote for the Republicans either I would just you know go and vote for the libertarian and waste my vote if I was in America I can't vote for the American left or right I would literally waste my vote on the libertarian so 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 on the music bit so I, I, you have a trained background in philosophy right from what I remember
1: yeah I have, I have an undergrad degree in philosophy.
0: Yeah. So I, I can relate to that because I have a master's in philosophy. So that, so, nice. you know, so, and, and of what, what music basically are you into? So if I was to ask you that.
1: I am um, kind of all kinds of music, but I went to school for jazz for about six months before I got my philosophy degree. And then I've released several hip hop albums.
0: Nice, nice, nice. So any, any. So, what what does the future uh, future look at for Colman Hughes? Books or music or a bit of everything?
1: Maybe a bit of everything. I have my book though coming out in February. So, um
0: I'll definitely you know, read it. Look forward to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll read your book. I, I like your work, man. I, I've always been uh, listening to you, reading you. Uh, I even saw your discussion with. Uh, Bri- Brianna I don't know how to pronounce her name Brianna
1: yeah Brianna Joy Gray
0: yeah so that was a very good discussion mm-hmm. I even uh, I've seen you have multiple uh chats with uh, other thinkers. So I enjoy your content. You, so uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh, listening to people from different cultures and uh, different ideas. Where it's very funny. Like even in this podcast, you have an Indian supporting quota, and you an African American saying it doesn't it doesn't work. But yeah, I'm I'm the rare Indian who supports it uh, in America. So uh, it is what it is. But it was a pleasure talking to you, man. And uh, is there anything else you, you you wanted to talk about or tell everyone before we wrap up?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think I just I got to I got to pay attention to the news today and and respond to it. So it's a big day over here.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you you take care, man. And I wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully uh, one day we'll see you in India coming over for a tour for a book tour in India. I think Indians would benefit a lot uh, listening to you know folks like you from a mm-hmm. very different perspective. So I mm-hmm. wish you all the best. Thanks so much all right guys uh in the description you'll see all the details uh coleman's social media handle uh his podcast link so go listen to his podcast Uh, i i really recommend uh, you guys check him out and as far as i'm concerned you know the deal so i don't need to remind you keep supporting the char work podcast until then namaste take care bye